Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Great, thank you, Colin. Um, about this time last year was quite a big moment for myself and for the church because um, we released our first book. Now, me and Colin and Tim and others have been working on it for ages. It finally went to print a year ago and uh, it's currently been translated into Russian, which is also super exciting. One of the hardest bits about writing the book wasn't writing the 60,000 words that make up the, the bulk of the text, but writing the 200 words for the blurb uh, that would go on the back that would take everything that we've wanted to say uh, in so much detail and boil it down to this is the essence of the story. That's much harder than it looks. Maybe you can do that with some of your favourite stories. I came across some book in a tweet kind of things for, for different classics. So um, th this is a tweet that summarises Moby Dick. Unilegged, monomaniacal Captain Ahab of the Pequod pursues white whale that smashed up his ship and leg. Fascinating digressions on blubber and whale oil extraction. Hashtag Starbucks. Or Hamlet. Emo Danish prince finds father's been murdered by uncle who's married mother. Sperm girlfriend goes mad and drowns. Her old man stabbed through arrows. Everyone dies. Hashtag tragic. Or Emma by Jane Austen. Perky teen tries to micromanage love lives of gal pals until ticked off by elderly suitor after rude episode. Brackets, not that kind. On Box Hill. Hashtag same plot as clueless. It's hard, isn't it, to take something big and detailed and turn it into something um, precise and specific. I wonder what you would do if you had to summarise the story of the Bible in that kind of space. You've got one tweet to explain what is going on in scripture. Sometimes I've asked people to do this as, a, as an actual exercise and it's fascinating to see what people include or what they choose to leave out. I wonder if you had to do it, what you would include in your summary. Maybe you talk about creation, when God made the world and it was all good. Maybe you talk about the fall, when humanity rebelled against God and ruined this good creation. Perhaps you'd uh, hit some of the high points of the Old Testament story. God's promises to Abraham, his calling of the nation of Israel, his um, releasing them from slavery in Egypt, his covenant with them, the law that he gave them uh, to Moses upon the mountain, maybe King David uh, and uh, his defeating of Goliath and his leading people into their golden age. Maybe uh, the exile when they got kicked out of the land and the restoration. Surely you'd mention the New Testament. You'd talk about the incarnation of Jesus. You'd probably uh, talk about his ministry, his healings, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, the Holy Spirit being poured out, the church and Jesus coming again. But when you think about everything you want to include and think how little space you have, you can't include all of it. What would stay and what would go? Well, in Luke chapter 24, the disciples get this kind of summary from Jesus. And it's absolutely fascinating because Jesus leaves out a lot of the stuff that I think you and I, that many of us would put in. And Jesus includes some things that might not occur to most of us. Now, he's just been with a couple of his followers on the road to Emmaus, and he's given them the long exposition of how all the scriptures testified to him. 
But in the end of the chapter, the disciples just get the summary version. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to read from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 48. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there with me. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, and here's going to be his summary now, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold i'm sending the promise of my father upon you but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high did you pick out that summary and what jesus chose to include about 40 percent of uh, the space he got was dedicated to what god has done through jesus jesus's mission the messiah about 60 percent of the space that he had was dedicated to what god is going to do through us our mission in the world. So no mention of creation, the fall, Abraham, Moses, David, none of the things that you might be tempted to include. He, he boils it down to what God has done through him and then what God is going to do through us. And then in application, he talks about how God will empower us for the job through the Holy Spirit. Now you might be thinking, is that really the summary? Is that really, if you read the Old Testament, is that what you get as the gist of it? If it was anyone other than Jesus giving the summary, maybe you'd question it and say, are you sure you've got that right? It's challenging, isn't it, that this is what Jesus pulls out as he reads the Old Testament. Let's just think about the Old Testament for a second and how it leads us to this place. The Bible is a missionary book. In fact, Chris Wright says it like this. He says, mission is what the Bible is all about. And we could as meaningfully talk about the missional basis of the Bible as of the biblical basis of mission. He said it's not just one theme amongst many, but it's the heartbeat of what this book is. It's a missionary book. And fundamentally, the Bible is about God's mission. So when we talk about our mission, really what we mean is that we've been invited to play a part in God's big mission for the world. And God's big mission is about filling the earth with his glory. He summarizes it in Ezekiel, you will know that I am the Lord. And in that, people are blessed because it's in coming to know God and experiencing his glory that true blessing is found. And so within the context of God's mission, he gives missions to people. It starts with Adam and Eve. So God made them and he gave them a little garden in this kind of wild creation that he made. But he gave them a mission as well into the rest of creation. Genesis 1 verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves over the earth. The idea is this world needs to be subdued, and it needs to be filled with people who love each other, and who love God. Well, the mandate given to Abraham uh, had a similar vibe to it. He says, now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you 
and him who dishonours you I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, there's still this idea for a global community of people who are blessed, who know God, who are in relationship with him. Or on the mandate to Israel, as we find uh, quoted in Isaiah 42, God says, I'm the Lord, I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind. So again, there's this idea of a global, a light being shone, people being brought into relationship with their creator over all of the earth, him being known and people being blessed in knowing him. And this was given to Israel, but in the way Isaiah tells it, he's concentrating it on a particular figure, a servant of the Lord who was to come. You could say the Messiah. Uh, this was the one that they were expecting. So if this is the mission, where does it leave us by the end of the Old Testament? It leaves us with mission impossible. Because as we said, people have turned from God. There's been a fall and people's hearts have hardened. So they don't want this relationship with God. Sin has put a barrier between people and God so that we can't know him by ourselves. So it's all well and good to say the mission is to go and tell people about God to make him known. But in a world of sinners who don't want to know him, that is mission impossible. So this promise pointing to this servant who will do it, who will break that barrier somehow. Jesus picks up the story in this summary that he gives. And the first part of it, the messianic, he said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. And on the third day, rise from the dead so he's going to deal with sin why why is it that he should suffer well if the hindrance to god's mission is sin we can't think that that's no big big deal sin is absolutely toxic in fact back in the garden of eden when adam and eve um, were first introduced to the tree that they shouldn't take the fruit from god says the day you eat of it you will die he's warning that this is a toxic thing don't go near sin but they did all humanity sins has and so there's this kind of contagion in us and it needs to be dealt with uh, i once saw a tv show it's like a, a a silly sci-fi show but this guy had a a toxin in him and kind of the doctors like directed it all to his arm and then chopped his arm off so it was gone it was concentrated in one place and then it was dealt with and it was zapped and there's something similar that happens with sin because the good news in Jesus is that we can be united to him. And it's like all our sin and the sin of all who put their trust in him. It's like concentrated in one place, in his body as he went to the cross. And in him, sin is zapped. The judgment, the punishment is dealt with in him on the cross. That's what he came to do for you and for me. Meaning that this relationship, that there was a barrier. Now the, the way to relationship is opened up and we can relate to God like we were meant to do. That's why the gospel is such good news. But he didn't just say that the Christ should suffer. He said on the third day should rise from the dead. Because how can we know that it worked? How can we know that this way to relationship has been made open? It needed a, a vindication. And Jesus said, the way you will know that what I'm saying is for real, knock this temple down, he said, talking of his body. And on the third day, I'll rise it up again. He said, when you kill me, and I come back to life again, you will see that everything I've said, everything I've promised is for real. It's like in the resurrection, God is saying, job done. Sacrifice is acceptable. And he's saying to Jesus, you are righteous. And that declaration isn't just for Jesus, but it's for all who are in him, all who put their trust 
in him. So there's an offer to us, an offer of new life, both here and now and eternal life forever, if we will put our trust in Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for all of us. So if you haven't responded by putting your trust in him yet, please do so. It's the most important decision that you will make. In the mission, this huge block, the barrier, has now been removed by Jesus on the cross. So still the mission, the imperative, is that it goes to all the world. The news about this, that relationship can be made with God, that the world can again be filled with a community of people who love each other and who love God. Now we can get on with it. You see, it wouldn't be much use for this to happen and for the only people who know about it to be a few dozen people living around Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Of course, it'd be good for them. But in terms of the mission of the whole world being filled with people who love God and who love each other, that wouldn't be much use at all. And so Jesus goes on in his summary. He says, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. He's telling us the way we read it. Yes, it's messianic. It's about him, but it's also missional. It's about the job that God has given us to do. And the news about what Jesus has done needs to be spread around the whole world to every nation, every tribe and every tongue. And he says, beginning from Jerusalem, that's where they were. He says, start where you are, but spread this thing everywhere. And if you think about it, that's what happened. They started in Jerusalem, but then this good news spread to Judea and to Samaria. And from there, it started to spread into Asia and North Africa uh, and Eastern Europe. And then it kind of spread further and further until now the gospel has reached every continent, every nation. There are still people groups who haven't yet been reached. Our frontier missionaries are going out to reach them and we want to support them and we want to pray for them. Uh, we want to be behind the global mission. Also, local church planting going into every community, every neighborhood, taking this good news. And personal mission. Every person out there, we want this good news about what Jesus has done to reach. What really challenges me, though, is that Jesus used about 60% of his summary of the scriptures to get this across. You know, if I was summarizing it, I might not have even thought to include it at all. Jesus uses 60%. Can you see what a big deal this is? He said, you have a job to do. I want to get that clear in your heads. You're called as a missionary. Just let that sink in for a second. So that's why we're going to be talking about this over the next couple of months. So what we want to see happen is three big shifts to happen in each one of us. And the first one that we want to see happen is a mindset shift, a mindset shift. Because sometimes when we talk about evangelism, when we talk about mission, we think of it as an add-on to our faith. And that needs to change. You see, being a missionary is a core identity of being a Christian. God has sent us to partner with him in his mission. And so we need to take this very seriously. Imagine for a second, you were moving to another country because you felt that God had called you to go there as a missionary. Just think, what would your life look like in those circumstances? What criteria would you use to decide where you lived? What would be your approach to getting a job and to secular employment? What standard of living would you expect for yourself? What would you spend your time doing? What are the opportunities that you'd be looking for? How would you engage with the aspects of the culture that you might not agree with? What would your prayer life 
be like? What things would you be trying to do with the new friends that you're making while you're there? It's quite stark, isn't it, to ask questions like that, to think what we would do if we felt called as a missionary somewhere else. But when we realise we've been called by God as missionaries where we are, I wonder how many of us apply similar thinking to our life here. It does challenge our thinking, doesn't it, in every area of life. As a church, as Christ Church Manchester, this is something we're deeply engaging with at the moment. We've been talking about it a lot on a leadership level. We've started to see there is more that we can do. You know, it's been great. We've seen people come to know Jesus. We've seen people baptized and we celebrate that. And yet there's something in us thinking we, we can do more. We would love to do more. I think we're called to do more. What does that look like? We're thinking about what events we can put on, what training we can offer. But also for each one of us, just to really adopt this mindset of we are missionaries. This is what we are here for. Let's get this clear and let's live this out. So that's the first shift that we want to see happen, a mindset shift. The second shift that we want to see happen is a practical shift. Start doing different things. Because it's one thing to think, I've got it clear in my head, I'm a missionary. But then when we're out there with our friends, what does that actually mean? What does it involve doing? Now, ultimately, what we want to be doing is sharing Jesus, telling people the good news. But sometimes it's not easy to get from zero to 60. How do we get to the point of having that conversation with people? And we've kind of picked out a few things that we think help facilitate this. And, and we've picked out seven and, and handily, they make a little um, acronym. They spell out the word mission. So it's memorable. So over the next few weeks, we'll take each of these in turn and kind of deep dive into what it's all about. But just to, to tell you today what the seven points are, the first one is M is for meals with others. It's important to be spending time with people. And the dinner table is a great place to do it. Actually, there's a kind of fellowship that comes with eating with someone. And there's an opportunity to share life and share friendships and build conversations over food. So meals with others is M. I is about intercession. It's prayer. Intercede for five people. Choose five people in your life who don't know God and commit to praying for those people on a regular basis. S is about share your story. Tell people about what God has done in your life. And that gives opportunity uh, for, for them to see what God can do in their life. S is for serve practically. Help. Wash people's feet. Like that's what Jesus did. Now, the metaphor of that might be something different in our world. But what would it be that means you could serve and meet the needs of those around you? The second I invite to events at church we put a lot of things on including our sundays um, including alpha courses and uh, other things as well that you could invite people to where they can hear this good news O is offer to pray as well as praying for your five people on your own offer to pray for people sometimes if someone's sick you can offer to pray for healing if someone needs provision you can offer to pray uh, for the thing that they need whatever it is offer prayer and let them see god work and god bless them and then n is never give up keep going keep persisting and see god work so we've had a mindset shift we've got a practical shift and then thirdly there's an expectation shift an expectation shift spurgeon was a, a preacher in the 19th century and there was a young man who uh, once came to him uh, complaining that he wasn't seeing many people around him get saved and Spurgeon says, do you really expect people to get saved every day, every week? And the guy was like, well, no, I suppose not. And Spurgeon was like, well, that's why you don't see it, young man. It's a challenging thing. 
is that what do we expect? Are we expecting those around us to come to know Jesus? You know, there was a study done uh, a few years ago, and they asked people uh, whether they would consider themselves to be a lucky person or an unlucky person. And then they sent them to another room for the second part of the study. But on the way to this other room, they'd planted like a £10 note, uh, and they wanted to see whether the person would find it and keep it, or whether they'd just miss it. And those who considered themselves to be a lucky person, uh, on average, way higher, uh, would find it, a uh, percentage, than those who considered themselves unlucky, who just walked on past it and never even noticed it. And it's often the, what you're expecting determines whether you see the opportunities before you or not. And I've noticed that people who are evangelistically fruitful, they're expecting to see those opportunities. So when they do come up, they're there and they grab them. They see opportunities all over the place. Talking to random people, servers in a cafe, strangers on the street. They're, it's like their antenna attuned for the opportunities that come up. And sometimes they'll tell a story and I think, oh, it wouldn't have occurred to me to talk to that person. I feel convicted by that. Let's raise our expectations of what God will do. Let's share the stories of how God's worked in our lives, but also let's share with each other the opportunities that God gives each of us. And that will build the faith of those around us, that we will all see those things happening. And let's be regularly praying for, for our five, uh, but also for our own boldness to take the opportunities that arise. You know, sometimes I think the reason why we might have low expectations for seeing salvation is we think about the size of the task and we feel inadequate. We feel, I'm not up to this. And when we feel like that, we're missing one piece. And Jesus goes there at the end of the passage that we read. He says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So we're right, the task is big. And we're right that by our own strength, yes, we are inadequate for the task. But God has an answer. He fills us and he empowers us with his Holy Spirit. Is the task too big for the Spirit of God? No. Is he more than enough? Yes. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, lots of things happen. You grow in holiness. Uh, you grow in unity with uh, others in the church. You get spiritual gifts that you can use to serve but every time we see someone filled with the spirit the context is being empowered for mission if you read acts you see it time and again people stepping out into mission filled with the spirit that's the primary reason given in the bible that god sends his spirit and in fact when you think about the risen jesus he had two topics that he would come to again and again and again in all the gospels he goes there one i'm sending you guys out as my missionaries, as my witnesses, you've got a job to do. Second, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit and he will empower you. He'll give you the power you need for the task at hand. And just as it was for the disciples, so it is for us. You know, everyone who's a Christian has the Holy Spirit. You know, you can't uh, be born again without the work of the Spirit. And yet there's a certain filling and an empowerment that can happen where you're filled with the Spirit in a moment. This can happen more than once, but it's where God's power and his presence rests upon you to equip you for the missionary task that God has given you to do.